Of course, this is Easter Sunday, and the one thing about Easter Sunday is for us as believers, Easter Sunday sets us apart from all other religions or belief systems in the world, because on Easter Sunday, we believe in a risen Savior, a living Savior, who came to this earth and lived a perfect life and came to restore us with God. In the early church, not long after the resurrection, believers would do something very particular when they would see another believer walking down the street. They wouldn't greet them with a common greeting like, hello, or how are you doing? They would actually make a declaration. And this is the declaration. When one believer would see another, he would say, he is risen. And the response of the other believer would be, he is risen indeed. You see, the reason they would say that is because the resurrection was their hope. If you've paid a lot of attention to the way our society, the way our nation has responded to the current crisis that we find ourselves in, the word hope is probably not the word I would use to describe our response. The word that more likely defines who we are in this present moment is the word fear. Fear has driven our responses. It's driven our reactions because fear changes everything about us. When I was small, I can remember growing up, and I can remember being afraid of the dark. And I guess parents, and when I was growing up anyway, they didn't care that the dark is when monsters would come out and terrorize children. So for me, the one thing that I would do to protect myself from the dark is I would hide under the bed covering or the blankets. And those blankets would give me protection from the dark. And if I got really afraid, I would pull the bed covers up over my head. As futile as that is, the way most people are living their lives today in our society is they are taking things to protect themselves like money or wealth that they've accumulated in this life to get them through a certain moment. Or they trust in their health that can be ravaged by a virus they can't even see. And just like those bed coverings were futile to protect me when I was young, the temporal things of this life were just as futile. So as followers, as believers in Jesus Christ, what do we have that we can cling to, that we can rely on? The thing we have is hope. If you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are just simply the story of Jesus. And as you read the story of Jesus, you will see that he does a lot of things as he walks this earth. He heals people, a lot of them, in fact. He teaches people, he preaches, he leads people. But there's one thing that he does more than any other. And the one thing that he does more than any other is he asks questions. A lot of them, in fact, 307 times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus asks a question. He asks things like, who touched me? Or who do the people say that I am? Will you love me? Even ask a question of God. God, why have you forsaken me? But there's one question that he asked in the book of Matthew that I think is very important for our day. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible because it's the story of Jesus and the disciples in a boat. And it's after a long day of preaching and they get into the boat to cross to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And as they are crossing, Jesus goes down and he begins to sleep in the back of the boat. But all at once, a storm comes up. 
And it says the disciples are terrified. They're literally afraid for their life. Now, many of the disciples were fishermen, so they had fished and they had sailed all their life. But for whatever reason, this particular storm scared them. And so they go to the back of the boat and they wake Jesus up and they ask him this question. Do you not even care that we're about to die? And then Jesus just responds with one simple question. Why are you afraid? Now that seems like a ridiculous question in the moment. Because he had to ask the question over the howling wind and the rain and the storm. But he asked the question anyway. Why are you afraid? And then all he does is the Bible says he speaks to the storm. And he just simply says, be still. After that, the disciples are amazed at who Jesus is. Because you see, in that moment, he did two things. First, he just gave them a brief glimpse of who he is and that he truly was the Son of God. But then the second thing he did is he just gave them temporal or temporary relief from their problems. Just temporary. Because they were going to face other problems and Jesus knew this. So right before his death, Jesus doesn't give them a temporal solution for this life. But he gives them an eternal solution. The night before he was crucified, the Bible says in John 14 that he and his disciples are in the upper room. And for three chapters in the Bible, Jesus teaches his disciples the last things he wants them to know on this earth before he dies. Now at this point, there are only 11 of them left. Judas has already left. He's already gone to betray Jesus. So it's Jesus and the 11 disciples. And they're there in the upper room. But what I want you to understand is that Jesus is not just talking to the other disciples. For so many, when they come to read the Bible, they read the Bible as a spectator. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are not a spectator of the Bible. You are a participant in the Bible. Just like you read about Abraham and Isaac or Deborah and Ruth or Peter and Mary or whoever it is. Just as they you see them in this story, you should see yourself in this story. Because if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, he is speaking to you. So in John 14, when he speaks to the disciples, He's talking to you. And this is what he says in verse 1. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. That word troubled there means to be shaken. It means to be stirred up. And that's exactly what had happened to the disciples. They were shaken. Because Jesus had just told them what was about to happen the next day about the crucifixion and about the suffering and about the death and they knew what was going to happen but they couldn't understand it. They couldn't comprehend it. And they were afraid. They were troubled. So this is what Jesus says in verse 3. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when everything is ready, I'm going to come and get you so that you will be where I am always. What place was Jesus talking about? What place was he going to prepare? Well, the place is what the Bible calls heaven. What Jesus on the cross calls paradise. It was the place for which we were created. You see, we weren't created to live in a world like we live. We weren't created to live in a place with death 
and destruction and disease and catastrophe. No, we were created for paradise, for heaven. So not only is Jesus going to prepare a place for us, he's now preparing us for that place. Because you see, that's the story of the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. If you take all the Bible and you boil it down to what really matters, this is what matters. The good news. You see, the good news is this. If you go all the way back to the beginning, back to the book of Genesis, God's creation, God created everything perfect. That's the way He intended it. And there we find Adam and Eve. We find them living in a place like paradise. They're not only living there, but they're living there with God. And in Genesis 3, this is what the Bible says that God does in that place called the garden. Every morning during the cool of the day, God would come and He would walk and He would talk with His creation, Adam and Eve. So if you asked Adam and Eve, hey Adam, what are you going to do today? He would say, well, I'm going to walk with God because that's what He did. But Then in Genesis 3, the Bible says sin entered the picture. For whatever reason, Adam and Eve didn't want what God had given them. So in verse 8, God did what he always does. He came to the garden in the cool of the day to walk. But this day was different because the Bible says Adam and Eve hid because they were afraid. And so when God came walking, he called out to Adam and said, Adam, where are you? He knew where Adam was. But Adam responded, here, God. And all God did was ask a question. Adam, what have you done? And Adam said, well, Eve did it. And God said, Eve, what have you done? And Eve said, well, Satan did it. But that day, sin. And then no more walking with God. But you see, God created us to walk with him. So if you go read Genesis 5, guess what you find? You find God walking again because he finds a man named Enoch. And the Bible says in Genesis 5 that Enoch walked with God for 300 years of his life. And then in Genesis 6, his great-grandson Noah, it says this in verse 9, that Noah walked with God. But then came judgment, the flood, because the earth was wicked. And guess what? You can read the rest of the Old Testament and there's one thing that you will never see. You will never say anybody walking with God again. But God wasn't done. Because everything that he did throughout history was for one purpose. Because we come to the New Testament and we come to the Gospels and we come to Jesus and we come to someone coming to this earth and living a perfect life but taking our sin upon himself, suffering and dying and being buried in a tomb. But then resurrection. And do you know the story of resurrection? Here's what happened. One of the first things that Jesus did on the day of resurrection 
As the Bible says in Luke 24, that there were two of his followers who had drifted out of Jerusalem and they were on a road walking towards a town, Emmaus. And Jesus joins them. And guess what Jesus does? He walks with them. Now he blinds their appearance so they don't recognize him. They don't know who he is. So they're walking for seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus and they're just talking. And Jesus asks them, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they can't believe that this one walking with them hasn't heard all the things that had happened in Jerusalem. So they tell him about the crucifixion. They tell him about the burial. And then they tell him that they've heard there's been a resurrection. They finally come to Emmaus and Jesus says, well, I'm going to go now. But they say, hey, no, stay with us. At least eat a meal with us. So Jesus says, okay, I'll eat a meal with you. And so they sit down to a meal. And the Bible says that Jesus breaks a loaf of bread and he prays a blessing over their meal. And then the two followers recognize who he is when he says that prayer. And they can't believe that he's with them. They see Jesus. And then this is what they do. They run all the way back to Jerusalem to tell the other disciples that he really is risen. And this is what they say. They say as they're walking down the road, they said it was as if our hearts were burning inside our chests. You see the story of resurrection? Genesis, sin, death, no more walking with God, but resurrection and walking with God is available again. You see, that's what Jesus is offering you today. He's just offering for you to be able to walk with him. Because he promises there in John 14 that you will be with him always. So for the believer, the Christian who puts their trust and faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus promises to always walk with you in the good times and in the bad. The moments of life, the moments of death. He's there on the happy days and the sad days. No matter what happens to you in life, He's there walking with you because that's what God created you to do, to walk with Him. And one day when we get to the place prepared for us, that place called heaven, the one thing that we will do for eternity is just simply walk with God. Because He made us. He created us to walk with Him. Listen, that promise is only available for those who believe. Just later in John 14, in verse 6, Jesus says this, He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. The only way that you can know God, the only way that you can walk with God, is through Jesus. The way that He has made that possible is through the resurrection. That is the one way we can know who Jesus is and that He truly is the Son of God and has done all the things that God said He would do. And the proof is that God raised Him from the dead. The 
Bible says if you believe in that, in Romans 10, 9, and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is God, then you shall be saved. One last question Jesus asked. John 20, right after the resurrection. Mary Magdalene is at the tomb. She's there looking for Jesus. Jesus is not there. And so she starts to weep. She starts to cry. And the Bible says that Jesus appears to her. And just like those two on the road to Emmaus, she does not recognize Jesus. She's blinded. And so Jesus just simply asks her a question. Why are you crying? She thinks he's a gardener, a caretaker at the tomb. She says, if you've taken him, tell us where he is. And then the Bible says this. It says that all Jesus does is call her by her name. He says, Mary. And immediately, she recognizes him. Maybe today, as you watch this, maybe Jesus is calling your name. Maybe for the first time, you understand that He's calling you. And He's offering an opportunity for you to walk with Him. To be with Him for eternity. If that's your heart, if that's your desire, All you have to do is what Romans 10, 9 tells us. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. And then the hope that Jesus promises in John 14, the eternal hope, can be the hope that you live with. The hope that you stand upon. The hope that will sustain you. So all I want to do right now is just pray for you. So I'm going to ask you, wherever you are, just to bow your head and close your eyes. And first, I'm going to ask those who heard your name called, not by me, but by Jesus. And you heard that clearer than the words that are coming out of my mouth. Today, you want hope, you want assurance, you want life and life eternal. If that's what you desire, I'm just going to ask you to pray a prayer. And it's a prayer that just is your confession to God that you need Jesus. And again, there's nothing special or magical about a prayer. It is just your way to express to God your love. So today, if that's what you want to do, I just want to give you words to say. So just pray something like this. Say, God, I need you. God, I want to walk with you. Thank you for Jesus. I believe in him. I give my life to him. Lord, save me. 
if you prayed that prayer and you meant that prayer in your heart, the Bible says you are saved according to Romans 10.9. For those who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. So today celebrate that on Easter morning you believed in Christ. Not only was Christ raised from the dead, but so were you. Now I just want to pray a prayer for all of those of you who may be just like the disciples that night before Jesus was crucified and your heart is troubled. Because Jesus never promised that we wouldn't have trouble. In fact, in that same discussion that he has with the disciples in John 16, he says, in this world you will have trouble. But he says, even in the trouble, your heart can find rest. By just believing in me. So as I close, I just want to pray for you. I want to pray God's peace over you. And his assurance. So let me pray, Lord. We thank you for your word. And not only the hope that your word brings. But the assurance that your word brings for those who believe in you. Lord, I pray for everyone who is struggling in these days. Lord, I pray for those who are shaken, who are stirred. Lord, for those who are afraid. I pray that you would comfort them with a peace that can only come from you. Lord, I pray that you would replace their fear and anxiety with joy. Lord, I pray that they would understand what the joy of salvation truly means. Lord, I just pray for your blessing over your church. Thank you for Easter. Thank you for resurrection. Thank you for life. We love you. And we praise your name. Amen.